Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. What causes worship to turn to war? Well, there are two principles that are found in this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. When evil desires dominate our lives, worship turns to war. In verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He looks and says, it's an internal thing. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and As Pastor Ed continues to teach through the book of James, he'll be reminding us that all of our external problems are due to a main internal problem. Our internal problem is that we have a sinful nature that we need to constantly beat into submission. James asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He answers his own question by saying that they come from the desires that battle within us. We have to feed our spirit man and starve our fleshful nature. This is the only way we will live a victorious Christian life. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith. James talks about church fights, church conflicts, and he takes the pulse and he tells us exactly the reason for the conflicts. At least in the early church, the churches that James was writing to. Now, you might think 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, after the day of Pentecost, the church would be sailing along on smooth seas. But that's not the case. Turn to James chapter 4. We're returning to our series in the book of James beginning to read with verse 1. This week and next week, we'll be talking about when worship turns into war. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves 
before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, don't slander one another. I want to assure you that I am not aware of any church conflict in our body in this fellowship. It's just the text in the series, but I do recognize that it applies beyond the church fellowship to the home, to the family, to relationships with others. In Chuck Colson's book, The Body, there's one chapter that he has called Extending the Right Fist of Fellowship. Now, it's built around a true story that happened at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Massachusetts. And I want to take out an excerpt from that chapter and read about this church fight that actually happened. It was a right hook that got him. Pastor Waite might have stood in front of the communion table trading punches with the head deacon, Ray Bryson, all morning. Had not Ray's fist caught him on the chin. Two minutes and 15 seconds into the fight, Waite went down for the count at the altar where most members of Emmanuel Baptist had first declared their commitment to Christ. Within an instant, the majority of the congregation converged on the communion table, punching or shoving. Uh, it spilled over to an open space beside the organ. Mary, the director of the Dorcas Society, threw a hymnal. The missile sailed high and wide and splashed down in the baptistry behind the choir. When Ray's right hook finally took the pastor down, Someone grabbed the spring flower arrangement from the altar and threw it high in the air in Ray's direction. Water sprinkled everyone in the first two rows on the right side. And a visiting Presbyterian experienced complete immersion. <laughs> when the vase shattered against the wall next to his seat, the fight ended when the police arrived on the scene. <laughs> oh, uh, we can laugh about that, uh, but that really happened. James looks at church conflict in his time, and he said, here is the reason for church conflict. Now, it's not over doctrine that James is talking about, someone considering this aspect of doctrine and this doctrine. They wouldn't fi weren't fighting over their views on the truth. No, no. It's something else. What causes worship to turn to war? Well, there are two principles that are found in this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. When evil desires dominate our lives, worship turns to war. In verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He looks and says, it's an internal thing, not an external thing. Children were playing in the backyard. They were scrapping and yelling. Mom opened the door, was concerned, and said, children, what are you doing? The little girl turned and said, mom, don't worry. We're just playing church. It's like the two congregants that are fighting in the church and they're heated in an argument. And the deacon stops by and says, 
is this a private fight or can anyone join? Some people can't wait to get into a fight. I remember when I was a young pastor, one of the congregants came to me after a business meeting. The business meeting I thought went rather well. We kept on schedule. It had a peaceful atmosphere. And the congregant came to me rather disturbed and distraught and said, Pastor, I came expecting a good fight. They actually said that to me. Now, they were aware of some conflict in the church and they thought I would bring it out to the business meeting. I said, brother, there's new Christians here and we're not going to fight in a business meeting. Well, that precious Christian brother, his attendance at the business meeting started to wane after that moment. Not that I was sad about that, but some people have the idea that coming to church, they don't Well, it's like going to work. They fight to get into work, fight the traffic, fight to get on time, fight to get home, all through the traffic. Saturday to try and get to the mall, trying to find that parking space. And as soon as they come into church, they don't take off that mentality. Well, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Christian fighting each other in the church. When our motives are not right, Christians will fight with one another. In verse 1, what causes the quarrels and fightings among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? Look at that phrase, that whole army of evil desires at war within you. What James is doing is saying is that deep inside there's a stew going on. There's something going on in the inside. Somebody wants something and they're blocked. Somebody wants something and it doesn't happen. And so that agitation grows and it becomes a conflict in the church. Now, what was James talking about? What's what's that something that they want? Well, it could be in chapter 3 that... There were those who desired to be teachers, and it's more than just teachers, it's a leader in the church. Uh, It could be that uh, some felt they were very wise, and they knew how to do things. and, And James is saying, because your desires are blocked, you don't get what you want, you bring it into the congregation, and that's wrong. In Christianity Today, there was an article about how people sometimes in the world, maybe they don't have the power or prestige or the position that they want, and so in the church, they feel like maybe they could get that, and they see it more as a political position than as the family of God. And that's one of the reasons for conflicts. You know, a dear sister told me about her mom. Her mom loved to fight. I mean, she could go a few days without a fight. But if she agreed on an issue with you one day, the next day she could change her position and just get into a scrap. Well, she was visiting her daughter years later when her daughter was married and had children and the children in the house. In the middle of the night, she woke up and started arguing with her husband. And all the grandchildren heard that. 
I'll never forget someone who came into the counseling room and then out in our congregation. But this man was distraught. He said, Pastor, my wife and I have been fighting for days. I said, well, what have you been fighting about? He said, well, you won't believe this. I said, no, no, go ahead, tell me. And so what happened, he said, was this. My wife had some type of dream. And in the dream, I must have did something to her, and there was an argument. And she woke up in the middle of the night, and she started fighting with me, and the fight hasn't stopped for days. Well, what James is saying, it's within us at times. It's deep down inside. Some are a walking civil war, a fight ready to happen. That word desires. Uh, We get our word hedonism from it. It's the idea of self-seeking pleasure. The chief end of man for many is their own pleasures in life. The pursuit of what they want. Now God gave us desires and the enemy of our soul would try and bend those desires in the wrong direction. God meant us to enjoy pleasures in this world, but the enemy would try and corrupt those pleasures and cause us to go in the wrong direction. And so here James is speaking to us and tells us that those inner desires can be means of conflict. Whatever that desire may be, uh, we need to have discipline in our lives. You don't do everything you desire to do, and you don't have everything you want to have. And so what's happening is James looks at the pulse and says, ah, here's the problem, those inner desires. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you, as alien and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. What he's saying is that will war against your soul. It will do damage to you spiritually. When you have desires that you haven't laid at the cross and ask God to sanctify it and ask him if it's, as it, if it's his will and you haven't done that and these desires rule and reign in your life and bring you into conflict with others, they work destructively against your spirituality. Get into a good church fight, and I'll tell you, you have a hard time praying. Get into a conflict with your brothers and sisters, and you could come with your gift to the altar and be assured that God is looking for you to go back and reconcile with that person. I wrote down when we can be like an armed camp within, ready at a moment's notice to declare a war against anyone who stands in the way of some personal gratification on which our hearts, on which we have set our hearts, we become a fight ready to happen. See that? Fight ready. Now, picture what's happening in the pews. Look at the text. You want something, but you don't get it. Maybe it's position, power, prestige, whatever. You kill and covet. Murder in the pews. Mm. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. They're not going to get what they want. They're going about it the wrong way. What does he mean when he says kill? I don't know if uh, someone was stabbed in church. I know it did happen with Cain and Abel, that there was jealousy and envy, and there was the first murder was over a religious service where God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering. But I, I think it's more a metaphor. I believe it's referring to what Jesus said. If we have murder or anger in our heart, it's like murder. 
He said, take the commandment, thou shalt not kill. If you have anger in your heart, God sees it as though you had committed murder. 1 John 3.15 bears this out. It says this, anyone who hates another Christian is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. It will be destructive in your relationship with others and destructive in your relationship with God. It will work havoc. The language that James, is, that James uses is a language of war. Why? Because church conflicts can be just as destructive as war. War leaves homes devastated. It destroys families. It destroys communities. How many church splits have separated family members and they no longer walk in harmony with each other? How many church conflicts have so isolated people that they have no relationship with each other? Maybe at one time they were friends, but because of what has happened in the church, this invisible wall goes up. How many people no longer serve God because in the church they were hurt and wounded and broken. Elizabeth George, on her Bible study notes on James, talks about weapons and strategies used in church fights. Here's just a list of some of the things that she says. There's what they call the missile attacking church members. Long range, you know. They just gossip or say something at a distance. There's the guerrilla tactics. They ambush you unsuspectingly, maybe in the foyer. <laughs> There's the snipers and the terrorist. No one is immune from being hurt by that sniper or the terrorist or mines. Ensuring that others will fail in their efforts to serve God. They set minds there so that that person will not succeed. And then there are the espionage. Using friendships to get potentially damaging information about others. Hmm. Well, tell me a little bit more so I can pray. And share it with the prayer chain. <laughs> Then there's the Cold War, freezing out an opponent by withdrawing or refusing to talk to him or her, the cold shoulder. Then there's the nuclear attack, being willing to sacrifice the church if the goals of my group are not met. Wow. James calls it war in the church. What happens? In this context, when there's war in the church, when our desire gives rein to our actions, Christians will be at odds with God. Look at the text. It almost sounds like a contradiction, but I think what James is saying, you do not have because you do not ask God. In the first case, they're going to ask God something, and they decide, you know, I can't ask God that. That's selfish. That's wrong. Or maybe because they're at war with one another and they're not living right, their prayer life is really hindered and it's difficult to pray. And they sense that blockage between them and God. And so James looks at one group and he says, uh, you have not because you ask not. And then there's some others with some smiles and smirks on the other side. Wait a minute, we've been praying about that. Hmm. He says, well, you over there, 
He said um, in the text, when you ask, you receive not because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There are those who will take the wrong attitude They'll take carnal desires, they'll take selfish ambition, and they'll take it into the prayer room, and they'll turn it into a prayer. And God doesn't hear that type of prayer. When we pray with wrong motives, God's not going to answer that prayer. When we pray with selfish motives, God's not going to answer that prayer. In chapter 3, it gives us an idea of James chapter 3 in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and then in verse 16, it says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, what James is saying is, listen, leave things in God's hands. I got to do something about this. I got to straighten this out. Isn't he the head of the church? Doesn't he see? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he hear? James is telling us that we create all sorts of conflicts within the body of Christ when we go about fulfilling our desires, our motives. We're going to do it our way. I did it my way. That's what Frank Sinatra sang. Maybe that worked for Frank Sinatra in the world, but we're not in the world. We're in the church. And we can't sing, I did it my way. We have to sing, I did it his way. Our prayers can be defiled by self-centered prayers, by worldliness in, the, in that holy relationship with God. We can turn the highest endeavors of prayer into selfishness. Now, uh, let me just get off the track for a moment. How many are teaching a theology that reflects what James speaks against? They call it a positive confession. You know, sort of blab it, grab it. That type of thing. God, anything I want, I'm going to... Listen, God doesn't answer those type of prayers that are motivated selfishly for the wrong reason and wrong purpose. you got to check your heart. The text says, spend upon your own pleasures. At verse 3, 3b, spend what you get on your own pleasures. That's just like the prodigal son. In the prodigal son, it says that he went to the far country and he spent on himself. He spent on his own pleasures. So if we go to God and all we're asking is for things for ourselves, to spend it on our pleasures with wrong motives, wrong attitudes, God's not going to respond to that type of prayer. Now, what type of prayer does he respond to? Well, here's several things. Number one, if you ask in faith... Now, that doesn't mean you hype yourself up to believe that you're going to get something. It doesn't mean you just get positive enough. He's going to give it to me. He's going to give it to me. He's going to give it to me. God, no. It's not that. Faith is this whole relationship with God, this trust, this reliance on his character, on who he is. So when it says you ask in faith, you're living in faithfulness. Then it says asking in his name. Number two, 1624, ask in Jesus' name. What does it mean to ask in his name? Well, you're doing it for his sake. You're doing it for his glory. You're doing it for his honor. It's a prayer that Jesus would pray. It's something that Jesus, well, it would be something that would honor him. And then 
In 1 John 5:14, ask anything according to his will. Programs like Building in Faith are wonderful, and we do know that God uses them in the lives of countless believers. We also know that just hearing God's Word is not enough. We must put into practice those things that we are learning. Pastor Ed is taking us through the book of James. We'll learn that we must be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Building in Faith. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Again, to follow Building in Faith and access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. When you visit the site, you'll only need to remember today's date. Simply click on today's date. You can listen, download, and even share this message with your friends and family via Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions, call us. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue sharing messages from the book of James. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your word restores.